In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ermeliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jacob, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ermelia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ermelia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ermelia. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. And Isaiah 8 says, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in the common characters, belonging to Mal-Shalar Hashbaz, And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar Shalah Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ermelia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thanks this morning for your word. 
And Lord, thanks for the call not to fear. So God, I pray that you help us this morning as we look at your word. Lord, I fear too much. So help me not to fear. Help us not as a church to fear, but to be strengthened by your promises. Lord, I pray that you be with those who are this morning struggling emotionally, physically, or spiritually. God, I pray that you just help them to know that you're with them and that you're for them. And now, Lord, I pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to talk about fear uh, this morning because it seems to be the prevailing issue that we deal with often. I asked a couple of people in my family, uh, so this week, what are your thoughts on fear? And one of them said, it's frightening. And the other person said, it's scary. That was their definition of what I, when I think about fear. And there are many types of personalities and many types of temperaments in this room. All of us uh, come to fear differently. Some of you are uh, are scared at anything, and you jump. And others don't get scared at nothing, it seems like. And some of you uh, don't worry about much about anything, and others of you worry constantly. Everything's a worry. And there's all kinds of different personalities, all kinds of temperaments when it comes to fear. But fear is a big issue. There's a big issue in the book of Isaiah. Numbers, numerous times in the book of Isaiah, fear is addressed. And God tells the people, don't fear. Don't fear is mentioned over 365 times in the Bible. And so this morning, so I want to look at fear and look at, we want to recognize it. We want to see the results of it. I want to give remedies to help us with fear. So just kind of want to look at it through how it affected the nation of Israel and Judah. We want to recognize fear in our own lives see the results that it takes on our lives, and give some remedies that the Bible gives us for fear. On August 13th, 1939, Russell and Darlene Diebler arrived in New Guinea on their one-year anniversary to serve as missionaries in the jungle. And then Japan invaded the West Indies. Russell was taken to a concentration camp, and Darlene was taken to another camp. And Russell died in the, in the concentration camp, and Darlene was imprisoned for years, tortured. Despicable things happened to her. And then one day, she was drugged from her little cell to another cell, which was the execution room. And on the, on the wall, on the, on the front of the execution room, there was a sign that said, This person must die. And they threw her in there. She dropped to her knees. She looked through the keyhole. And she knew as they were turning the key that she was as good as dead. And she sat there. A song that she learned in church when she was growing up in Iowa came to her mind. And she sang it. And it said, it was, Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, the door being shut. He never forsakes, he never is gone, so count on his presence in darkness and dawn. And amazingly, even though she was as good as dead through a number of other circumstances, somehow Darlene survived and she was able to live through that to, to tell us that. But that song and those truths are very helpful for us when we talk about our fears and dealing with fears. And resting on the promises of God is the proven path for us to fight fear. Because when we don't, 
when we don't rest on the promises of God, when we deal with our fears, fear is ready to devour you. And it will devour you. That's where King Ahaz was in Isaiah chapter 6. Fear is draining. And sinful fear, especially, is draining. This morning, I just want to ask yourself, are you, are you letting the promises of God be pinned down by fear? Are, are you being paralyzed by fear? Or are you trusting and leaning and resting on the promises of God? Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz was the king of Judah, and everybody else had been defeated. The promised people, the, the people of God had been promised this land. They did not live well. Isaiah was called in the first five chapters of Isaiah to be a prophet to a people that did not want to believe in God, whose world was completely a mess. The nation of Israel at that time was a mess. The world at that time was a mess. There was all kinds of terrors. If you read Isaiah chapters 5 and 6, you'll find out that the people of God, the nation of God, the world that existed was filled with materialism, just drunken pleasure-seeking, defiance, moral perversion, pride, and corrupt leadership. That was the culture. If you read Isaiah chapters 5 and 6 that they, the people of God were living in, the nation of Israel was living in, that they were participating in. It's very familiar to our culture. They were, they were gripped with feel Ahaz was. And it says in verse chapter 7, Judah was left. And Judah wasn't really following God at this time either. And so the two enemies of them got together and said, let's go down. We'll get really close to Judah and we will attack them. But they couldn't quite make the attack yet. But when the house of David was told, it says in verse 2, which is a very significant line. It wasn't just that when King Ahaz was told, it was when the house of David was told, which means that if they were attacked and beat, the whole nation of Israel was going to be wiped out. The whole house of David, it was going to be done. The people of Israel were going to be done, and Ahaz knew it. This was a huge battle. If this was to take place, and if they were to lose, it was all done. The, the people, the house of David was done. And when Ahaz heard that, he, his heart and the people's heart shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They were scared to death. They were absolutely filled with fear. The Holy Spirit writes some good stuff, and he uses some good analogies. They were shaking like the trees in the wind, just blowing, just shaking. Their hearts were, they were absolutely, totally lacking trust. And they needed trust. The question is, for us, the same thing. Will we trust God and hold on to his promises? Because we have to recognize there is all kinds of fears for us to see. Psalms chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 says, The world's a scary place. It says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver it. When you read Psalms chapter 7, 1 and 2, we get that. It's not hard for us to say, yeah, that's what we want to pray too sometimes. God, save us so that we aren't getting ripped apart like lions that tear our souls apart. We get that because the world is a scary place to live in. Our culture is a scary place to live in. It's 
this recognition of fear. There is a good natural fear. And all fear ultimately is still a consequence of sin. But there is a natural fear that is that is good. There's a natural fear that we all deal with. Our natural fear kind of keeps us from harm. We don't do certain things because we have this natural fear that that's going to hurt us. It also keeps us out of trouble sometimes. There's a natural fear that, hey, I'm not going to rob the bank because I don't want to go to jail. And for some people, that's just a good natural fear that fear is helpful that way. It keeps us from evil. It keeps us from harm. But natural fear becomes sinful fear when we fail to trust God's promises in the face of danger. And what I want us to look at this morning is the reality is that most of us spend a lot of time in sinful fear. And sinful fear for us is very distracting. That's what it was for Ahaz. It it's, makes us very vulnerable. It gives us great bondage. It's absolutely crippling, isn't it? When we, when we move over from natural fear to sinful fear, our lives just become just absolute wrecks. And our culture feeds on that. They, they, it thrives on this fear. It, it thrives on sinful fear, the culture that we live in today. I mean, right now, if you read the news, the, the Zika virus is scaring everybody with babies. And we're all concerned about that. Remember the Ebola virus? That was so 2014. You know, when we were all supposed to get that, and it was just scared to death, our culture feeds on getting people to live in fear. Just like the people that were going after Ahaz were trying to get him to shake in fear. In 2012, a study was done of the emails and the posts that are shared the most of the New York Times articles. And the ones they found that were they went viral the fastest. The trended ones were ones that evoked high arousal of emotions such as awe, anger, and anxiety. Which means people read stories, they get scared, they let their fear consume them, so they post it and let everybody else share it. So, hey, I'm scared, I want you to be scared too. Read this! Did you see this? This is what's going to happen to you. Post that on Facebook. This is going to happen to us. Which means we are our worst enemies sometimes when it comes to fear. And there's all kinds of fears that we deal with every single day. There's the fear of man, or that you may struggle with at different times. There's the fear of the future. There's fear of tragedy. There's the fear of not measuring up. There's the fear of your physical appearance. There's a fear of sexual intimacy. There's a fear of looking foolish. There's all kinds of fears. Newspapers write about it. I was just reading the uh, Baby Blues comic strip last week. And it says this mom, she's, she's sleeping. All of a sudden she wakes up in this great panic. I should be spending more time with Zoe. Falls back to sleep. Wakes up again. I'm too impatient with Hammy. Falls back to sleep. I should read to Wren more often. Falls back to sleep. She finally looks over to her husband, wakes up. She goes, I'm having guilt flashes. And it's causing terror. There's parenting types of fears. There's all these fears. C.S. Lewis said that no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. We are consumed with fear, and we eat it up. The whole Star Wars trilogies are made up of fear. It's an epic adventure about the dangers of fear and the result of letting it consume you. 
And the world still hasn't figured it out because they got to keep making movies about it. How does life exist without fear? Fear is bad. How do you come to fearlessness? How is that possible? They still are making movies to try to show that that's possible. We gotta recognize all these fears, what they are, and they are fears, and they are fueled by, most often, many times, they're fueled by ignorance, which was Ahaz's problem. They're fueled by guilt. And ultimately, for Christians, they're filled by, they're fueled by Satan. Of those things that I mentioned, what fear, what sinful fear might be gripping you right now? Which one's having the most effect on you. A lot of people don't like to admit that they're afraid. We don't want to admit that we're afraid. And because we don't admit that we're afraid of things, often the result of fear, it doesn't sound like fear. It doesn't proclaim itself as fear. But it comes out in anger. Fear and anger are very highly related I would say that fear's primary companion is anger. We don't want to admit that we're afraid, so we lash out at somebody when we come home. You had a bad work day at work, and so you, you think you might lose your job. You come home, your wife says something very innocent to you, and you leash, lash out in anger at her. What's driving that is not that you're really mad at your wife. You're afraid of something deep down. Many times our fear comes out in bad reactions to people or or we drive people away because we're afraid. We don't want them, we've been hurt, so I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me first. All of that is fueled oftentimes by fear. We ignore people. We don't want to deal with situations. And the driving thing behind all that, what we need to recognize often, the driving thing is not that thing, but the sin beneath the sin is fear. And the sin beneath the sin of fear is unbelief at the root of it. That was Ahaz's root problem. And ultimately, when it comes to fear, that's ultimately our own problem. It is unbelief. We don't really believe that God's promises are true. There was a study done in 2012 by the New York Times titled Searching the Brain. The world wants to know why people fear. It it dominates stuff you Google. In 2012, an article came out in the New York Times that says, Searching the Brain for the Roots of Fear. So if we can just figure out where in our brains it's, it's not connecting, we can deal with this thing called fear. The problem is it's not ultimately in our brain. The roots of fear ultimately are in our heart. Because when God created the earth in Genesis, the beginning, we didn't have this type of fear. We didn't deal with this type of problem. But when man decided, hey, you know what? I don't want to go God's way. I want to go my way. And the flight away from God always has brought and will bring fear. And it's the same thing today. The reason that we fear is because we don't believe that God is in control or that God's promises are true. And so instead of embracing those truths, we run away and we flight and we find something else and we try to figure out how to deal with it ourselves and we just live and are consumed often in fears. Tim Keller says this, follow the pathway of your fears. If you want to know what's at the root, what's really causing you to fear and struggle like that, follow the pathway of your fears back into your heart to discover the things that you love more than God. 
When you are consumed with fear, and you're a believer, there's something deep in your heart that you love at that moment more than God. It could be your children. It could be your job. It could be your life. It could be your things. It could be your reputation. All those things that shake us in the wind. We're loving something more than we love God. We need to trace it back. Sinful fear is something that we need to be delivered from. And we can be. There is a remedy for sinful fear. John Flavel wrote 400 years ago a little book called Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. And he says in this book, he says, listen, there is a way for us to overcome these sinful fears. But he gives a warning for us. He gives a warning on how to deal with fear. The, 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 the warning about fear and who actually can be helped. The world is absolutely consumed with fear. They, they thrive on it. They, they hate it, and yet they thrive on it. We, we deal with fear. We hate it, and we want to get rid of it. We can't figure out how to deal with it. But there is a way for Christians to be helped. And those who can truly be helped. And there are some who can't be helped. The ones who can truly be helped as we overcome fear, John Flavel said, is first of all, only those in Christ are capable of the truest advantage. Only those who truly know Jesus Christ, really, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you're capable of having the advantage to fight over fear. It doesn't have to dominate your life. Because we know that we have been someone who has conquered the greatest fear, which is death. The world doesn't have that. They can conquer every fear that they want, but they can't figure out how to overcome death. But Christians can have that confidence. So ultimately, those in Christ can have advantage over fear. Secondly, we must expect that we're not going to get a perfect cure while we're still in this life that we'll never come to this perfect cure for overcoming all the fears of life. And third, he says, we must remember that the remedy of fear isn't just hearing some things and knowing some things, but it's practicing those things. The way we conquer fear in our life is not just by getting some information, it's by putting it into practice and putting a fight against sinful fear, recognizing that when we're fearing on a Tuesday afternoon, shaking or can't sleep at night and it's sinful fear, we're not just supposed to give in to those things as Christians. That's when we're supposed to fight against it. We're supposed to get into an aggressive attack against it because that fear is wanting to devour you. we got to fight fear and be active against it. What's the remedy of fear? The nation of Israel, Ahaz is about ready to get wiped out. He's shaking, absolutely shaking. He's trembling. God sends Isaiah and says, Isaiah, tell him not to be afraid. Tell him this, it's, it's not going to happen. No matter how big that army is, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. And then he gives Ahaz an opportunity to respond in faith. In the last part of chapter 7, Isaiah, Ahaz does not do it. He actually responds in anger because he's being driven by fear, then God comes back to Isaiah at the end of chapter 8 and says, listen, don't follow these people. Don't follow Ahaz. Don't follow these people who are shaking in fear, but do this. It says in verse 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. 
Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to those both in the house of Israel. The way to overcome sinful fear, the remedy for that is to have a right fear of God. To have an awe, reverence, fear of God. A dependent, reverent fear of God. To see that God is greater than everything else. That our fears are really to be subject to God. To have a right fear of God is to have the way to have the right victory over fear. But what does that look like for us? How does that help us? Today, we're, we're a lot farther down in God's revealed story than Isaiah was. And so the way we have a right fear of God for us to conquer just this grippling, crippling fear that sometimes consumes us, to have a right fear of God, we have to grasp firmly the gospel. If you can't sleep at night as a Christian, because all the concerns that you have, I would encourage you to don't fear them like the world fears them. But turn your affections and your heart's eyes to the gospel. Thinking and realizing what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ for you? That you were the enemy of God, but God loves you anyway. And because he loves you anyway... He gave his son's life for you and his son died for you and he covered all your sins, not because of anything that you did, but all because of his covenant of grace for you. That he said, I will do this for you. And seeing what Jesus Christ did for you. When you know much about the gospel, when you think much about the gospel, when you think much about what Jesus Christ has done for you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shake away from you fear. You will be so grasped and so holding on so firmly to the reality of who Jesus is. Rosemary Miller says this, What you know about the power of Christ determines the strength of your faith. Know a little bit about Christ and his omnipotence, which is his power, and you have weak faith. Know more about Christ as sovereign Lord and you have more faith. Know a great deal about Christ, and you are on your way to having great faith. When you are scared on Thursday night because of what happened at work this week, what's going on with your kids, don't dwell on that. Reach up and grasp the gospel and say, Jesus, you're for me. You gave your life for me. I'm fading, but you're not going to fade. You promised this for me. You are in covenant with me. And I want to know more about you. And you will start to see, you'll start to see yourself shaking less. Grip firmly the gospel. And then grip lightly the current reality that you live in. Some people fear so much because they think that if if I lose this, I've lost everything because they're so connected to the things that we have. They think that if I lose this, it's it's just over. We're too gripped to the things that we own in this reality. But the the Bible says that we should be preparing for suffering. So we can't hold on to things too tightly. We should not be surprised when suffering comes. We shouldn't be surprised when terrors arise. we got to prepare for it and realize, you know what? I might be having a great week, but this might not last. 
So I'm going to enjoy this week now, but I'm not going to hold on to it so much that I think if it changes, that God's abandoned me. I'm just going to grip lightly to this. I'm going to enjoy this right now. I'm going to enjoy my children right now. I'm going to enjoy my job right now. I'm going to enjoy my wife right now. But if I lose these things, it doesn't mean God's against me. This is a temporary world we live in. And be ready. Don't hold so tightly to the things of this life that we make become, they become idols for us. So if we lose this, our lives are over. We're supposed to be prepared and expect the trouble's going to come. And fears will come. So grasp firmly the gospel, grip lightly the current reality. But keep committing yourself continually to God. This is all the things that Isaiah did. Commit yourself continually to God. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. One of the ladies I loved at our church was Carolyn Smith. Glenn and Carolyn, they passed away a couple of years ago. But Carolyn had cancer. And she would call me up and she'd say, Paul, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not worried, Paul, but I got some concerns. <laughs> and she would talk about her concerns. And um, I remember one day we had her come up at church. You might remember this. We called, we called her up when we found out she, her cancer had returned. And we prayed over her in the front of the church. And I read to her Isaiah 41 10, which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And weeks after, as Carolyn went through her cancer, she would tell me, Paul, remember when you read that one verse to me? Remember when you read Isaiah 41 10 to me? I read that verse all the time. Because it was helpful for her in the midst of her fear. She kept committing herself back over to God. What's even greater than that's one of the greatest verses for fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It even gets better if you read the rest of Isaiah 41. This is the kind of God that we have. In verses 17, it says, When the poor and needy seek water... Now think about this picture as we read Isaiah 7. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake him. This is what God does. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Out of absolute nothing... God says, hey, listen, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm going to take care of you. And you know why I can take care of you? You see that complete barren desert with very thirsty people? I can make that into a pool of water. I can make that thing flowing with water. Do you believe that God can do that? Is that the kind of God that you really believe in? That's how God talks about himself. That's how God says, listen, why are you so afraid? Don't you know that I can take absolute barren dust and turn it into a massive gushing pool of water? What are you afraid of? Do you really believe God that way? Do you really believe that's the God that we serve? 
So to have the real fear of God is to grasp firmly the gospel, grip lightly our reality, and commit ourselves continually to God. Because it says in Isaiah 8, he says, O Emmanuel. Isaiah had a son, and he named him Emmanuel. And he was a son that lived and served as an example for the people of God back in that time. And it means God with us, but the reality is God sent his son, Jesus, for us, who is the ultimate and true Emmanuel. He is the God with us. And as a Christian, if you know that God is Emmanuel, that God is with us, that gives us unbelievable hope. In Mark chapter 9, there was a dad whose, whose son was sick. And he came to Jesus. And he was desperate. And Jesus took care of his son. The God being with him took care of his son. He knew his situation. And he said, the man said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you are, maybe you are filled with fear, or you struggle with fears, and you know it's sinful fears, and you want to believe that God can turn barren lands into to water. You want to believe he can intercede in your situation. You want to believe it, but it is, just seems very hard for you to do. I would just encourage you, the greatest prayer that you can pray in that is this man's prayer. I pray it all the time. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because it's the direction of your prayer that you're praying to. This is, a fair, this, that's a, that is an absolute prayer of faith. He's looking to God and saying, I believe you, but I am having trouble believing myself. So help me. But I believe that you can help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. We have God with us. We don't know what's going to take place in the future. You don't know what your life's going to be. Some of you have had the most horrific things that you're going to face already take place in your life. Others of you have not yet even begun to have the worst horrific things take place in your life yet. All of those things are going to bring fears. Are you going to let them destroy you? Or are you going to hold on to the promises of God? Winston Churchill said, The future is unknowable, but the past should give us hope if we can look at the right thing. And really, it's not the right thing. It's looking at the right person. We need to look at Jesus Christ, who was Emmanuel, who was God's with us, who went to the cross for us. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection sealed all of God's promises to you. They're all there for you. God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has all his promises are there for you. They're sealed for you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And as we come to communion this morning, communion is a great place to bring your fears and to see it again. And it's a reminder of the true sense that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. And it's a true sense where we receive that. Fight fear by fearing God and focusing on his promises.
Shame, my blame. 